0: oh boy time to record a podcast episode on like four hours of sleep this whole week yeah let's see how we do Writing a novel is the show where you join me, Oliver Brackenbury, on the journey of writing my next novel from first ideas all the way to publication and promotion. In this one-man reality show, I'll share with you my ever-evolving thoughts and feelings on how I write, being a writer, and everything that entails at each stage of the process. I'll also answer listener questions and sometimes interview people who write fiction. If you're the kind of person who likes to learn how things are made and get to know the people making them, then this is the show for you. Last time you joined me, it was for the show's very first interview. This one with Angeline B. Adams and Remco Van Stratton, excellent authors of an excellent book, The Red Man and Others. However, in the narrative of this podcast telling the story of me writing Untitled Sword and Sorcery novel, in a sense the last time was two weeks ago with choosing 17 stories. Right, I chose 17 stories, so now is it maybe time to tell you about the first story after the first one? The, you know, vo that got this whole thing going? No, that will be soon. There's actually two more, maybe three, definitely two more things I want to talk about before I get into breaking down each individual story's outline in an episode for each story. First up, Sword and Planet, sometimes referred to as Sword and Blaster. It is a subgenre of the subgenre of fantasy known as Sword and Sorcery. And basically it comes down to the old dilemma of do I want to get some sci-fi chocolate in my fantasy peanut butter? As a kid, like I think most kids, I just read whatever I thought was neat. Uh, I didn't really get hung up on genre business, certainly not until I was at least, I think, 12 years old, when I just was, you know, very interested in being a big, sophisticated manly man. And I got it in my head that part of that was having to choose a team, sci-fi or fantasy which by the way why does this happen with sci-fi and fantasy and like next to nothing else you never hear about someone being like well uh you know uh, you gotta pick a team are you a mystery guy or a thriller guy i mean i'm sure somewhere in some forum but by and large nobody really talks about like two genres that are really complementary and very similar in a lot of ways as being in opposition i think the way we do about sci-fi and fantasy anyway I got it in my head through reasoning I can't remember that science fiction was the more sophisticated genre, and I just kind of stopped reading fantasy. I think also it didn't help that I found Tolkien kind of turgid. Uh, I thought the ideas were neat, but too many digressions. Anyway, I was 12 years old. What did I know? Fast forward to the recent present, where I've been reading all kinds of sword and sorcery novels and other things as preparation for writing this novel, and we come back to an idea I mentioned before the appendix n the reading list from the 19 i want to say 79 advanced dungeons and dragons dungeon master's guide where Garrett Gygax listed essentially all of the authors and many of their works that inspired him when he co-created the world's first role-playing game something you realize pretty swiftly when you start reading books from that reading list which roughly covers 1900 to 1979 Is that the whole thing about mixing fantasy and sci-fi wasn't really as big a deal up to that point, unless it was the whole hook of the thing. Like, say, in Paul Anderson's The High Crusade, where a bunch of medieval 'er ne'er-do-wells get a hold of a spaceship and go off and conquer all kinds of stuff with their cunning and guile, which more advanced societies don't seem to have. Anyway, a very casual attitude towards the mixing of sci-fi and fantasy appeals to me in the sense that I don't like to have limits, even though, of course, you have to have some. And I like the feeling of anything can happen that I get in a lot of those older books that I don't find as often in more codified genre novels that have come out since then. And to be clear, I'm not interested in science fantasy, which is the main way I feel we run into in mainstream genre stuff, whether it's TV, film, books, whatever a mixture of sci-fi and fantasy. Let me read you this little bit from good old Wikipedia. The world of science fantasy is laid out to be scientifically logical and often supplied with hard science-like explanations of any supernatural elements. I don't like over-explaining fantastic elements of a story, whether it's sci-fi, horror, fantasy, or whatever. And like, I mean, you know, think about good old Star Wars. How many of us really felt like, oh, now I really do like these stories when the prequels had the midichloridian thing of like, oh, actually, the force, you know, that mystic thing that was kind of vague and intriguing and sort of had to do with the life force of all things. It's a bacteria or whatever. I'm, I'm not going to go back and check. I don't care. That's how little I care about the explanation behind those kinds of things. But I do care about thoroughly exploring the genre of sword and sorcery and what's been done within it or branching off of it as I write this novel, which is very much inspired by me wanting to play with the genre. So yeah, sword and planet. What's the deal with that? I rather like the definition of sword and planet as it's given over on rogue-blades.com as they're a publisher, so they need to make it clear what they're looking for. Here's their definition. Sword and planet is very similar to sword and sorcery. It may have magic or technological leftovers from a remote, absent, dead, or dying race of advanced beings, so advanced that their technology might as well be magic. These various powers, like psionics or telepathy, should be either somewhat rare or difficult to use, with most survival dependent upon more mundane skills. The ability to cast even a minor spell to use a bit of psi-PSY like psionics should set that character apart. It might get that character lynched as some sort of evil spirit or worshipped as a god. The protagonists of Sword and Planet, like those of Sword and Sorcery, are outcasts and foreigners dropped into strange lands, often by accident. They might be explorers from advanced civilizations only carrying a single beam weapon with but a few shots left and a handful of survival gizmos. More often, an s and protagonist has to make do with his wits and the sword he wrested from the planet's primitive culture. She or he faces obstacles very similar to those faced by sword and sorcery heroes. Edgar Rice Burroughs' Barsoom and John Norman's Gore series are examples of sword and planet adventure. Howard Andrew Jones and John O'Neill define Sword and Planet as a field of unfettered imagination that mixes the best of science fiction and fantasy. Well, I like the sound of most of that, and I'll get into what I don't like the sound of in a minute, but first, I think it's always important to look at more than one definition of something, because oftentimes there's things that you might not have heard in one definition that the other one covers. So let's go back to Wikipedia for a second, where I will read a useful portion of its definition for you. Sword and Planet is a subgenre of science fantasy that features rousing adventure stories set on other planets and usually featuring humans as protagonists. The name derives from the heroes of the genre engaging their adversaries in hand to hand combat, primarily with simple melee weapons such as swords, even in a setting that often has advanced technology. The prototype for the genre is A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs originally serialized in 1912 in All Story magazine as Under the Moons of Mars. The genre predates the mainstream popularity of science fiction proper, and does not necessarily feature any scientific rigor, being instead romantic tales of high adventure. For example, little thought is given to explaining why the environment of the alien planet is compatible with life from Earth, just that it does in order to allow the hero to move about and interact with the natives. Native technology will often break the known laws of physics, the genre tag Sword and Planet is constructed to mimic the term Sword and Sorcery and Sword and Sandal. The phrase appears to have first been coined in 1960, blah 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 blah, who cares? There is a fair amount of overlap between Sword and Planet and planetary romance, although some works are considered to belong to one and not the other. Influenced by the likes of A Princess of Mars, yet more modern and technologically savvy, Sword and Planet more directly imitates the conventions established by Burroughs in the Mars series. That is to say that the hero is alone as the only human being from Earth. Swords are the weapon of choice, and while the alien planet has some advanced technology, it is used only in limited applications to advance the plot or increase the grandeur of the setting. In general, the alien planet will seem to be more medieval and primitive than Earth. This leads to anachronistic situations such as flying ships held aloft by anti-gravity technology while ground travel is done by riding domesticated native animals. Ooh, I do like things that increase the grandeur of a story, and I do like contrasts, like anti-gravity ships floating along while there's big alien, like, elephants or oxen, whatever, pulling people along uh, with their possessions down on the desert below. I also liked something else I found when I followed through on the old Wiki link there for planetary romance to see what the deal was with that genre. Planetary romance is a subgenre of science fiction in which the bulk of the action consists of adventures on one or more exotic alien planets, characterized by distinctive physical and cultural backgrounds. Some planetary romances take place against the background of a future culture, where travel between worlds by spaceship is commonplace, others, particularly the earliest examples of the genre, do not, and invoke flying carpets, astral projection, or other methods of getting between planets. In either case, it is the planet-side adventures which are the focus of the story, not the mode of travel. Blah, blah, blah. It goes on. Now, the thing I really liked there was the idea of pre-even trying to figure out spaceships getting between worlds. Astral projection, sure. Flying carpet... Hell yeah, especially because the flying carpet (laughs) traveling between worlds reminded me of something great I read in a book I was reading, just as kind of general research, I guess, kind of for this project, kind of for other things, including, I'll be frank, my role-playing game stuff. The book is called Daily Life in the World of Charlemagne by Pierre Richet, or Richie. Sorry, Pierre, I'm not sure. It's a big, easy-to-follow book all about Charlemagne, his empire, and the lives of the people beneath him, all kinds of facts and odds and sods, and one of the things I really loved... something I read that kind of fit under the broad category of magic and beliefs about magic, which is this. A harvest-destroying thunderstorm might be blamed on Tempestari, unchaining a magical wind. I guess Tempestari was like a god or something. The harvest destroyed by such storms was said to be given by the Tempestari to men who came in flying vessels, the ancestors of flying saucers, from a land called Magonia. I like how Magonia kind of sounds like what you would call a country from which MacGuffins come from. (laughs) But anyway, I like the idea of the flying saucers of the past being boats sailing through the sky, sailing through space, perhaps sailing to another world where a sword and planet adventure could happen. Yeah, and that also brings us back to one of Brian Murphy's seven things that he likes to use to define sword and sorcery, which is historical inspiration. Okay, I can feel my imagination going here. I can feel myself getting tickled by this whole Sword and Planet thing. Maybe I should go read some Sword and Planet. That wouldn't be a bad idea, right? And maybe I should read what's supposed to be the the granddaddy of it all, A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Well, listener, I did. And it's okay, sort of, I guess. Wasn't entirely my jam, I'll be honest. <laughs> I mean, it didn't help that the protagonist, John Carter, yes, John Carter of Mars, like that movie that kind of tanked about, oh, 10 years ago now? But yeah, John Carter is Captain Carter, formerly of the Confederate Army. This is set a few years after the Civil War, the American Civil War. So yeah, I mean, the book never gets into his opinions on slavery or who should be picking that cotton, but... <laughs> That was not putting the best foot forward to win me over to his side. It also doesn't help that in the book, he comes across increasingly as a total psychopath, even though I get the point is that he's supposed to be really in love with the Martian princess that he sees, but he just kind of like sees her from afar and doesn't talk to her for quite some time. And in between those two points, he kills a lot of people as part of his whole quest to get to her because surely... They are in love, given that they have seen each other from afar for a moment, Uh, hmm. Anyway, I'm not here to review this book, I'm here to discuss what influence it may or may not have on my book. So to that end, I'm going to read to you a list of sort of tropes or just things I noticed while I was reading that I thought were kind of intriguing or just noteworthy. Quick upfront, we have ignorance of customs causing conflict and missed opportunity. Early on, of course, that will happen. Airships, held aloft, propelled by unobtainium, not literal unobtainium from the Avatar film that everybody watched and nobody really remembers. <laughs> I'm just using that as a catch-all for some thing like dilithium crystals in Star Trek. Protagonist, earns respect and acceptance through physical prowess, an alien dog-like thing that he adopts. Finding the one good one among the brutish warrior race. Yeah, there's like big four-armed green fellows that are basically, you know, of akin with Klingons or whatever. And then there's the tomato-red-skinned, more human-looking, like, Martians, who are, like, the really good species on account of nothing else, the fact that they look more like us and our hero wants to sleep with one of them. The next item on my list here is a best buddy and a love interest in the good, more human race. Good is in quotation marks, of course. Houses and royalty and tribes, no democracy. Earning trust by saving someone's life in battle. Well, that's not unique to Sword and Blaster, but there it was. Dead cities. A dying world, or at least one needing steady labor. For example, in this case, running a huge atmosphere generator. If that machine isn't constantly running, then Mars ceases to be livable. Uniting disparate peoples. Our hero had never thought seriously of love until they met the princess. Or prince, I'm sure, another version of this. Weird local mounted beasts on land and in air. Teaching one of the local cultures about friendship, love, or some other earthly value. I forget what it is because I read this a while back, but he definitely teaches the brutish warrior race with forearms about something like honor or whatever. Extreme temperatures. First encounters after arrival. Of course, you always got to have that scene where you first lay eyes on the weirdos and they first lay eyes on you, you weirdo. A shortcut to learning the language. Yeah, (laughs) in this book, the entire planet has one language for all. Like the whole globe and all cultures and all sentient species of which there are at least the two that we meet in this one. This series went on for quite a while. There were many other books. I'm sure there were other sentient species we met that lived in like the core of Mars or whatever. And finally, gravity is lower so the hero can fight people much larger and can jump great distances. And I made a note to myself here, what if we flipped this and robbed Vo, remember Vo, my protagonist? Yeah. And robbed Vo of her go-to solution, uh, at least at some points in the book, which is violence. Also for those of you who like connecting dots, it just occurred to me that this predates the creation of Superman by over 20 years, and what does Superman do, right? He gets sent to our planet in a rocket, and our Sun gives him his abilities, making him super much as 20-odd years prior John Carter came to Mars and the gravity made him super because it was lower, so he could all over the show and really hammer people with his big Earth muscles built under Earth gravity. Anyway, I honestly wouldn't blame anyone for reading this book and being like, oh, a certain planet's kind of dumb, and also it's really colonialist, like one white man goes to another place and shows everybody how it's done and becomes better at what they do than they themselves. Yeah... I don't dig that. I don't want to write that. Hmm. Luckily, plenty of other Sword and Planet books were written, though they do dry up a bit after 1980, and what's written since then tends to be like pastiches of the old stuff. Even some of the stuff from the 60s and 70s where people reading, you know, John Carter of Mars and other things from the early 20th century and going, I like that. I want to write something like that. I can hardly rag on them since that's kind of what I'm doing with sword and sorcery with my book, although I hope I can make it something more than just a tick box of genre stuff, which is why I'm thinking so hard about it, right? Anyway, I would recommend two books that I've read and a third I haven't, but I'm very curious about for good reason if you want to check out Sword and Planet. Witch World, W-I-T-C-H, Witch World by Andre Norton from 1963 is relatively easy to find in secondhand bookshops, and I suspect it is available in ebook online and stuff, and it definitely was reprinted a whole bunch of times. It was a very popular series. I think the first book is a great story unto itself, although I have kept going, and you may wish to as well. And yeah, it's about a guy who, within the first couple of Pages like maybe even the first page and a half just gets whoop, sent off to another world as he escapes a hitman who's chasing him for some reason. Who knows? Anyway, he's on another world now. On this world are many different cultures with many different languages, but the dominant one, the one that he most comes into contact with and has adventures with, is a matriarchal society where the women who run the show have powers and their tradition is that you lose those powers if you dare to marry a man because that will make you a wiener and (laughs) and it's so much more than the kind of like gender dichotomy thing that i'm making it sound like but that is let's say the root of the first culture he comes into contact with and i don't want to tell you the whole book but i will say that he is not the only person from another world that has shown up here. And he's not the only person who brings technology and different ideas that don't fit in with a fantasy setting like this world that he's come to. And the exchange of information and helping each other grow and change is a two-way street. He helps the locals, they help him, really at the end of the day he gets way more out of it than they do, but he plays a pivotal role in the adventure because he's the protagonist. He's also a much more likable protagonist, not just because he didn't fight for the Confederate veteran army before going off on his adventure, but because he's just more three-dimensional and the love he has for a local is much more well-rounded and believable and not just him seeing her and then killing like 700 dudes to get back in the same room or area as her again. Plus, heaven forbid, she has her own life and interests and things going on, (laughs) so yeah. Much more well-rounded characters, much better written, period. Yeah, as I say, Witch World by Andre Norton. I strongly recommend it. The other one I've read that I would recommend is called Hard to Be a God, written by those filthy commies. The Strugatsky Brothers. Their big hit single is a book called Roadside Picnic, that way down the line, when I'm talking about my zone story in the third last third of the novel, uh, I will talk about quite a bit more at length, I'm sure. But Hard to Be a God, I think, is a real banger, all about cosmonauts who are traveling to worlds that were once part of the intergalactic communist empire, because of course there would be one, right? And You know, unfortunately, some things went wrong, and some of those worlds fell out of the Empire, and they regressed culturally, so they need to be brought back up to speed, but you can't just show up with a bunch of spaceships and be like, do it, because that just causes chaos, you have to be very subtle, and so it's all about a main character who has been embedded on a world that seems really stuck in the medieval era, and him and just a handful of other cosmonaut agents are, you know, masquerading as barons or dukes or whatever, people who can, like, pull the levers of power to try and guide things back to a you know to us futuristic to them normal level of technology, and culture to get it back up the linear history line to communism, the logical endpoint of all human history. I tell you, aside from the novelty of the cosmonauts and all that stuff, it's just a really hardcore book. I strongly recommend it, and I would recommend if you read it and like it, watching the 2013 film adaptation. But definitely read the book before the movie, because the movie does not hold your hand about the narrative. I really like that I read the book to be able to follow that. Anyway, Hard to Be a God, Great, Sword, and Planet from... Russia and the last one I'll mention very quickly because like I say I haven't read it but boy am I curious is called The Sword of Rhiannon R-H-I-A-N-N-O-N The Sword of Rhiannon kind of like The Sword of Rihanna, I guess written by Lee Brackett who wrote a whole bunch of stuff least of all the screenplay for a little movie called Empire Strikes Back so just because of the pedigree I'm very interested to read that book and you might be too okay 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 so Sword and Planet is neat it has a kind of rocky start, I would argue, but there's definitely all kinds of Sword and Planet books that are worth reading, and I've recommended a few to. Am I going to do it? Am I going to turn one of the stories in my novel into a Sword and Planet tale? Well, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the answer right now is a definite maybe. If I do, though, well, what am, I, what am I accomplishing by doing that, right? Because, like I said, I don't want this book to just be a collection of genre tropes and me being like, look, I made a checklist and I worked through it. Do you like me now? Especially because, A, that's uninspired, and B, who am I writing for in that case? Am I only just writing to get the approval of, like, a small group of hardcore fans of a niche subgenre? No, I'm writing because I want everybody, every human being alive, to read my book and find it interesting, while also wanting to write something that's specific and has to do with a bunch of things that I find interesting. Right? So, okay, so Sword and Planet, for the sake of Sword and Planet, is not a good idea. What would be a good idea is looking at what I don't like about it and maybe turning it inside out. Like I said, I don't like that it's very colonialist a lot of the time, especially in Burrow's take on it and some of the earliest, most classic, quote-unquote, stuff of, you know, one white guy usually coming to another planet and telling these natives who are often vaguely or not so vaguely akin to cultures on our own world, non-white cultures, like there's a—it's not called this—the Planet Krishna series— By L. Sprague de Camp, friend of the podcast. Uh, Yeah, it's actually called, let me see, what's it called here? Biogen's Interplanetarius uh, is the name of the thing, but whatever. The planet Krishna, as you can tell from that, it's a culture that's very largely ripped from India. Boy, white people have never gone and caused any trouble in India telling them how to do things or how they know things and their culture is so exotic and nifty, but ultimately just flavor for us to grind up into our commerce. Yeah, anyway, I don't want to do that, obviously. And to just turn the thing inside out, to just do the opposite or whatever, that also doesn't intrigue me very much because, again, who am I doing it for? Am, I, what am What am I saying? Like, this is a kind of older genre that's largely fallen out of favor. I don't think anybody needs to be told that colonialism is bad. I mean, okay, lots of people still do, but I'm not interested in telling that message, and I am not sure that I would be the best person to tell that message. So, if I don't want to do the genre sort of as-is in its classic mode, if I don't want to take it in its classic mode and pop it inside out— Well, what would be a good reason to do it? Well, the good reason, I would say, would be if it fit naturally into the story. What does that mean? Well, not that Vo does things that suggest spaceships are going to happen or whatever, but that something is going on with Vo's character that Sword and Planet could serve. Well, story-wise, there's some stuff that already plugs in with the final third of the book where, to remind you, a supernatural entity of great power has more or less enslaved Vo, created in her a great debt that she has to work off by performing essentially missions for the patron who can send her anywhere, anywhere at all. So. I guess that's how she gets to some strange planet that has a bunch of cultures and a bunch of stuff going on with maybe weird anti-gravity ships and big weird mammoths that people ride around or whatever the heck. But that's just wallpaper. What about the character? What about the character? Well, as Vo is performing these missions, she has with her a carrier bag and each place she stops, she takes a little something to put in the bag to take with her in her further travels. And... I like the idea that those things that she finds are suggestions of her building amazing power to defeat the wizard or free her from her patron or something, but ultimately they're just tchotchkes. They don't, none of them have any magic powers or whatever, but they are reminders of lessons learned in each of the strange places she's traveled because I like the idea of her learning from other cultures. So that's a big part of Sword and Planet. Let's make it a part of my book, perhaps. Okay, okay, and instead of inserting a whole new story where I just kind of ape the appearance of the Princess of Mars or whatever, how about I look at the stories I've already got? I think the one that would most work well for this would be the Underland story that I want to do in the last third, the one where I want Vo to go incredibly deeply underground, so deep underground that life is very different. Hmm, culture is very different. Hmm. And maybe she learns some stuff from those people and they learn some stuff from her, and maybe she has a lover who doesn't have to look super mega human slash hot by conventional standards. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe Sword and Planet, in my book, could be some sauce that I drape over a story I already want to do, and it could be like Sword and Deep in the Center of Planet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. That sounds kind of neat. I think, I think I'm think i going to play with it when I get to the part of the podcast where I tell you about the outlining of that and the outlining I actually do in advance of the recording because this is a virtuous cycle where I have to write more book if I want to have something to talk about in the podcast. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I think I'm going to have a little sci-fi in my fantasy. I All right. I hope that doesn't turn anybody off because I want everybody to love my book. That's impossible, but I'm I want everybody to love my book. <laughs> Oh my goodness, my been up since 4am self just remembered that I did actually definitively say two episodes ago in Choosing 17 Stories that I was going to do a Sword and Planet episode. Well, nonetheless, there was value in discussing the genre in detail and everything we've covered today. So you know what? I'm still a good podcast boy. It's very important (laughs) to be a good podcast boy, which is a real thing and not strangely infantilizing myself. Moving on, I remember that story was going to feature something uh, called Heimkehrer, H E I M K E H R E R, Heimkehrer literature. Heimkehrer translates in German to homecomer. And this was something I found in my big book of literary terms and theories and criticism uh, from when I was in school many moons ago which is, in short, uh, a term from 1946 to denote fiction and drama concerned with the plight of demobilized soldiers on their return to a country that had been ruined by war and the difficulties they faced coming to terms with civilian life. Well, what if that was, you know, an army of underground strange entities that Vo wanders in on? And what if the war they're coming back from is... A war that was sparked by a John Carter type who had showed up before, and so they're understandably very cautious (laughs) when another human shows up. Yeah, that could be something. Well, we'll see what I come up with by the time I actually get to outlining the story and uh, talking about it with you. Meanwhile, join me next time when I will be discussing research. And then I think after that, we're going to get into the stories that follow Vo. Unless I change my mind. Anything could happen. But join me next time. I like your company. You're great. You're one of the good ones. <laughs> so I'm writing a novel. Features original music by Gloria Guns and is hosted by yours truly, Oliver Brackenbury. If you'd like to submit a question, then please email it to so I'm writing a novel at gmail.com. Bonus points if you record yourself and send me an MP3. I can cut into the show. Doesn't have to be fancy. Using your phone is fine. Just keep it clear and concise. You can also holler at the show on Twitter. Look for at so underscore writing, at so writing. Please consider sharing the show with anybody who might like it, leaving a review on iTunes, and checking out patreon.com slash so I'm writing a novel. Patrons get to be thanked in the final novel, listen to episodes of the podcast a week early, and even enjoy a bonus podcast called So I Wrote a Novel, where I read and comment on chapters of previous works, starting with my first novel, Junkyard Leopard. Thanks for hanging out with me and I'll see you soon.